0: Welcome to Paper Napkin, a podcast about building stronger and more meaningful connections. I'm Kendra Rogers. Thank you so much for joining me for another conversation and another season. Our first guest on season two is a fierce advocate of diversity and inclusion in the workplace and beyond. It has been involved in initiatives sponsored by Google, Facebook, and the Government Equalities Office, to name a few. She's an open book on mental health, trust and resilience, and she was very transparent about how her own life and experiences have influenced her approach to work, relationships and connection. We spoke before summer when things were still in complete lockdown here in London. And while some things may have changed in that time, For example, we're now allowed to hug each other. Much has not when it comes to people's mental health, meaningful connection, unhealthy friendships, and the impact of living through a long and drawn out global catastrophe. (laughs) Woo-hoo. Our conversation tackles heavy topics, but Upi is able to bring light and hope and offers some real and honest wisdom for our listeners, including reiterating something I think we all need to hear lately. It's okay not to be okay. She's a shiny star and since we recorded this, her and I met in person so I not only can attest that her hugs are fantastic, I can also confirm that she's just as sparkly, fabulous and thoughtful in real life. Upi Badal was a connection via Jessica Wilkinson whom we finished season one with in episode 12. So without further ado, I'll let Jess do the honors.
1: I'm going to connect you with my friend Ubi, who I met here. I actually met her through the Elevate Network, which is really a network around creating professional opportunities and wealth for women. She's really interesting and she's one of the first people I met coming to London and she works as a recruiter, but really does a lot of work in the diversity and inclusion space. So her entire worldview is shaped on connecting and belonging most importantly. And she's a a firecracker of a human being. So that's who I'm going to connect you
0: to. Oopy, thank you so much for joining us. Jess speaks so highly of you and I can't wait to connect.
1: Thank you, Kendra. Thanks for having me.
0: So one of the things that we do first off in this podcast is we ask people what they do and why. And I'm more interested in the why, but I also want to know about the what.
1: Everything I do is centered around people. People. actually it took a friend of mine after you at university when we graduated to to kind of make me realize that so I studied politics and then I did a master's in international security and terrorism and I was like what am I gonna do now and so one of my really good friends said to me you know she started working in recruitment and she was like you'd love this it's all about connection it's all about people it's all about just everything you would love and so actually that's how I kind of fell into the career that I have had for the last 15 years. So essentially, I focused on people in the biggest sense. I work uh, now as a consultant across talent and workplace culture. And I love what I do. I absolutely love it. It connects me to seeing people and responding to people and working with people in a really human-centered way. The way that I work with them is inclusive leadership development and talent development and highlighting diverse talent for organizations. What I like about that is it's so connected to performance. It's high performance and creating a sense of belonging. Really actually getting to that person's why, their purpose is kind of my purpose. Helping people to feel connected to what they're doing and love what they're doing is what I love doing. I feel quite lucky, actually, to be at the point in the career where I am.
0: I love that you have a bit of a squiggly, maybe not squiggly career, but a squiggly background when it comes to Mm. things like politics and terrorism to then move into recruitment. doesn't feel like the most natural step in the world.
1: No, actually, really funnily, I actually started on a graduate scheme, which is really rare in the recruitment industry. I'm not sure if it's anywhere else, but in London, that was really rare for any kind of recruitment company to have a graduate scheme. So I felt a little bit more comfortable, I guess, afterwards, because that's everyone else around me was going through that. So I was like, oh, okay, it's just another grad scheme. But I remember my team there actually kind of saying to me, what are you doing? You should be one of the people that we're placing. What are you doing? But I just loved, I loved the work. I loved what I was doing. And I guess it's not the most natural career path but actually there are lots and lots of people that I know that actually (laughs) did politics and then ended up in search or recruitment or some kind of HR type of role so I actually think it's quite a natural transition because so much of what you learn at that stage it's it's all about humans all about people it's all centered on that right the people experience is central to politics and why we do that and I studied some really great topics at uni like art and war and like sex lies and scandals It was just like looking at politics through a different lens. It was really exciting, but it was all focused on people. And I think everything in life is focused on people. I feel actually it was really a natural progression for me, even though it seems random, but I feel like it works.
0: You've touched on this a little bit already, but it sounds as though the work that you do is highly impacted by connections. How does the work that you do impact the way that you view connection?
1: It's fundamental, especially I run a lot of training on inclusive leadership and fundamentally important to leadership is is connection. It's centered around that. If you can't connect with the people that are around you, you're not going to be able to lead them. There's the trust equation and the trust equation is focused on intimacy and the intimacy part of the trust equation is credibility and and other parts that make it up, self-regulation, et cetera. But the, the intimacy part is totally focused on connection. So when I work with organizations and we're working with the most senior people in the organization, they need to understand that how important the way they communicate, how they communicate is fundamental to the performance that they then drive from the people that are around them in the organization. Connection is absolutely the cornerstone to any kind of workplace interaction, regardless of leadership. You have to be able to connect with those around you. No one works in a silo. doesn't matter what you do. Everything you do, especially in our world today, we are interconnected one way or another, and even more so for people of, I guess I'm like mid to late thirties. And I feel like we were really the lucky ones because we got to see how the impact of the internet actually, you know, started to ripple and created this borderless society. And it was amazing we used to have i don't know if you remember this but like at school we used to do pen pal letters and we'd have a pen pal in like some distant land and that's how we got some connection and actually when i was like a teenager i was able to have these connections these pen pals across continents and it was instantaneous i didn't have to wait 5 weeks for a letter to come through the post and it was wonderful so i think just the byproduct of anybody who's a millennial and then has been able to benefit from the borderless world that we're now living in, and hopefully continues to do so, having to make sure that we understand that actually still over 40% of the world does not have access to the internet, does not have access to that. So we've got to still remain that actually we're creating the world and shaping the world through our lens, through what we see. And actually there's a vast majority of the population of the world that doesn't have that. We've got to be really lucky and take gratitude in the fact that actually we do have that. And it's so easy for us to have that connection, whereas some don't have that as easily.
0: That point around interconnection is so interesting as well. You touched on the, the trust equation and intimacy, and you spoke about it in a way that, that implied that I should probably know it, but I definitely don't know what that is. Can you tell me a bit more about it? The trust
1: equation is a really interesting one because I think a lot of us don't realize how important it is. And having to work remotely and have remote teams, whether that means you're working for a really large corporation, or you're just trying to connect with your friends, or you are working on your own business, or whatever it may be, the way you work with people is fundamentally determined by how much you trust them. And especially in this remote world where, you know, everything is fragmented, with communication much harder, we can kind of misread situations really easily so especially when you're trying to create I guess agency in the people around you the trust equation is really important to that so the trust equation essentially is four things and it it says that an individual's trustworthiness is equal to their credibility their reliability and intimacy and then it's all divided by their level of self-orientation individuals can develop their trust by looking at these four kind of things, it's really important to think about. And actually, when it comes to the intimacy bit, is literally about the way that you connect with that person. The credibility bit is how much can I leave this person to, you know, how credible are they? How can I just leave them to kind of get on with the task at hand? It's really important to think about as a concept. I think that from the conversations I've had um, over the last year, trust has been really important to developing That sense of connection in your remote teams or just even in your friendship circles, because 70% of communication is nonverbal. And so if we're not in that space with each other, we're not feeling the kind of the underlying cues that we would normally feel like a gesture or I don't know, something else, you know, like something small that we would normally pick up the vibration in the room, the energy, all of those things, you're not getting that through the screen in the same way. And I think that's really affected people in terms of the way that they have been able to connect and communicate with each other. And even some of the people you probably have the strongest connection with, it's even been, it's been more fragmented because everyone's mental health has been tested in this last year. Everybody is realizing that mental health is a thing. It's not you either have good mental health or bad mental health. We're on a scale. And sometimes it may be ace and sometimes it may not be so great. And it's understanding, OK, where am I feeling on that today? Where am I feeling on that? And understanding actually then, then maybe your connections with people or your ability to want to go for that walk in the park or get on the Zoom call with your whole family might be affected by where you're feeling on that day. And that's OK. Sometimes we pick up some of these nonverbal cues that we would in real life. And because we're not getting them, we're not getting those hits of dopamine and those those high tensity serotonin hits and things that we would normally get when we see each other and we get each other, we get that hug and that embrace and we get that, you know, that heart feeling. We're not getting that. So we need to find it in other places. But it, it's hard, it's hard to do that when you're when you're in a room by yourself for for you know months on end.
0: So many different threads to pull there, Upi. And I think the idea of mental health being a sliding scale is such a great way to look at it and probably a great way also for people to start talking about it because I think there is this this fear of labels that means that people don't lean into the fact that you can feel depressed and not be depressed. You can feel anxious and not be anxious. And you can be somewhere along those scales, depending on the day. And it's okay to acknowledge when you are there. And to your point to say, maybe today's not a day that I can have a zoom call, or maybe today's not a day that I want to go for a walk, or maybe today is a day that I really do need to go for a walk. But it's about identifying that there are ebbs and flows to who we are anytime, but especially during a time as tumultuous as as what we're living through.
1: I think that that's a, a really salient point because we've not really thought about, a lot of people haven't thought about their mental health. I think that There are generations, Gen Z, and they're very, very acutely aware of mental health as a theme, as a topic, as something to nurture, which is wonderful. But there are so many generations where this was not spoken about. And if you were not feeling like this, you take a pill, or you sort yourself out, or what are you doing? And it's sometimes like gendered, or it's misogynistic, or there's all these kind of different ideas about, oh, well, just snap out of it, or why are you acting crazy, or something, those kind of terms that are, are really quite toxic what we need to understand is it's okay not to be okay and I think for a lot of us when especially when it comes to social media what you see on social media is someone's highlight reel right so you're seeing the perfect picture you're not seeing the behind the scenes you're seeing these are the The is that they've hearted in their album these are not the pictures that the 25 pictures that lie there before them that's the reality of life when we compare ourselves and that's so easy to do that on social media we compare ourselves to someone else's highlight reel that's not reality and even when people are putting out there oh this is what my real life is it's still curated And actually, that can be really detrimental to people's mental health. We're not like that. And I'm sure those people also struggle with all of this. And it's just about having these conversations. It's so wonderful now that we can have these conversations. We can talk about this. We can say, do you know what? I'm not feeling okay." And if you sense that one of your friends are not feeling okay, you pick up the phone and you say, are you okay?" Or just a message or whatever is the way that they respond to best. Nonverbal, send them some flowers or their favorite book or whatever it may be, something like that, that makes them know that you care and you're there without having to overstep the line or impose yourself when maybe they're struggling and they don't need that. But it's okay. I think we need to just start having these conversations. What's really encouraging to me is that I see so many organizations and they have heads of wellbeing and there are wellbeing platforms and the rise of good tech in that area is incredible to me because that means actually we can start having the conversations actually there are solutions for it actually it's okay it's okay and actually we can help each other it's really really important and powerful that we have these conversations and we talk about it it makes it less taboo I think a really good way is to like kind of rate yourself like on the day like how am I feeling today am I a five today am I a nine am I a minus 20 and actually if I'm a minus twenty maybe I'm not going to have the call that I, I didn't want to have anyway, or, you know, maybe I need to postpone something to later on in the week, just so that I'm feeling my best, I can do my best. And then you don't spiral down after maybe you don't deliver as well as you wanted to or something on a on a work call or a, with your friends socially or something.
0: I, I think that's such a great idea to help yourself identify where you are. And it would be interesting as well to look back on that because I think Sometimes when you are in a low place, you think it's going to be like that forever. And it might be useful to actually have something where you've written down, oh, I might be feeling like I'm a two or a minus 20 right now, but I have been a nine and I will be again.
1: It doesn't have to be a scale and and, a numerical scale is sometimes even maybe worse. I don't know, but that's the way I do it. And I think that that works, but journaling, I think is really powerful when people journal and they go, okay, it was really bad this time, but what was good. I did something this morning and I thought it was really powerful. And actually I was thinking about what is it that really drives me? And today is Equinox Day. And today's a really good day to journal. So it's thinking about, okay, so what is it that made me the happiest? What what gives me that nine? You know, what is making me that nine or that eight? And actually, what was it that did that? How did I feel when that happened? And how do I replicate that? Because I know that that's what made me feel good. That's what made me feel whatever it was, made me feel valued, made me feel um, like I was doing a good job, made me feel successful, made me feel like I was contributing society, whatever it was in that situation. And then I'm like, okay, so actually, what was it? What was the task? What was I doing that situation? What was the surrounding environment? And then saying, how can I have more of that? I think that's really helpful to think forwards. We We can't go back You can't look back and and dwell. I always say this to people. If you're thinking about what has happened and you're trying to think about changing what's happened, you can't. And actually what you're doing is you're drinking poison and you're giving yourself the poison because no one else is telling you to think about that. No one else. You're making that decision to think about what happened in some distant time. And actually you're drinking that poison yourself. And it's a really important step. So actually, okay, well, I don't want to do that to myself. I'm not going to be in self-destruct mode. What can I do? I can't change what's happened. I can only go from here.
0: Really salient wisdom. I love the analogy of drinking the poison and that also this idea that no one else is making you do this because I think sometimes people burn themselves out when it comes to their perceptions of other people's demands of them. And oftentimes people are so willing to be understanding when you are vulnerable, and to be open to the fact that everyone has a bad day. But we put these expectations on ourselves. And that's another way almost of drinking the poison.
1: Exactly. I completely agree with that. And and I I think we need to stress the point that, you know, be vulnerable when you want to be vulnerable. Like don't feel like, because this is what maybe has worked with this one friend and you've then got more connection with this person, doesn't mean if that's not comfortable for you to do, don't do it. You have to understand your own personal limits and you'll only do that by testing the boundaries. I've only had to do that by actually maybe going a bit too vulnerable and going, that was really uncomfortable for me. I didn't like that. Let me bring that back in. But you only will know that through like test and iteration. Uh, I think that's really important to think that, you know, that is how we get connection. Being vulnerable and then being empathetic when you're hearing other people and you're sharing stories. Storytelling is such a powerful tool when it comes to connecting with people, like sharing your stories, being vulnerable. But then if you're on the receiving end and you're listening to that, you need to show real empathy. And it's active listening. And a lot of the time we're listening to respond. When actually we should be listening to understand, like, what is this person actually saying to me? What are they trying to say to me? What am I not listening? Is there something that I'm missing here that I should be thinking about? I think there's so many other ways that we need to realize that actually our connection happens. And if you're in a conversation with someone, you're not just in a conversation so that you can then say your point (laughs) and get that across. It's got to be a two way, right? It's got to be balance and you've got to let that person be themselves
0: what you just touched on i think around showing empathy but also being in an interaction for both parties not just for yourself i think that can be when things move from something that is when you have a true connection it feels like energetic you know there's an energy that i think you're yeah. sharing and it's so obvious when that shuts down i think because it it often is there's only one person giving the energy there's there's not an, a free exchange that comes with a i'm listening to what you're saying and my response is based on what you're saying instead of i'm listening to what you're saying and i've found something in there that relates to me so i'm going to bring it back to that
1: that's exactly that's what we see happening and actually you know we've probably all done it right we're all we've probably all done that we like listening and go oh well i connect to that i relate to that so let's go back to that and that's just human nature, right? And we're part, that's how we're hardwired. We're tribal and we need to find connection to people. And we do that through like our affinity and our similarity with people. And that's just how we survive. That's how we survive for, for millennia. But there is this real task, especially now to be thinking about what, what is this person being vulnerable about and I need to just actively listen to them. I don't need to overshare or kind of oversay my point when someone's really bringing something to me. And that does happen a lot. I'm probably guilty of that too, unfortunately. I think we probably all, we're narcissistic beings as well. We bring everything back to ourselves, unfortunately. But, you know, it's it's a daily thing to try not to do that. I I definitely try to make sure that I can be as balanced in the conversations that I have.
0: And maybe it's not about never making it about you it's more about the ability to give and take and see where that's necessary right because you're right there I think the piece around connection and the piece around the finding the similarity or the commonality is a really interesting bit actually I want to pull on that thread maybe a little bit because I know that you do a lot of work in diversity and inclusion and I think that the conversations especially recently that have been being had is that people tend to gravitate to people like themselves and oftentimes that reinforces structures that probably need to be dismantled
1: we are hardwired it takes us back to the most ancient part of our brain which is the amygdala and that signals the hypothalamus to create the, the stress response ph- physiology of stress so at any one time our brains capture around 11 million bits of information every single second and actually it can only process around 40 to 50 so what it does is with the rest it pattern matches and so when we pattern match it basically makes a this sense. This was like the process that our ancestors, cave people, would have done when they saw someone, something coming towards them. And they needed to make a split second decision. Do I need to fight, flight, or freeze? What is my next step? And if it was a rival tribe, or if it was a saber tooth tiger, what would be your next move? But if it's a tribe that you know, you trust, it's someone from your own, then actually you feel safe. So our brain literally from that time, that process still lies with us today. And so We are naturally driven, we're tribal at heart, we're naturally different to people who are like us. It's affinity biases where you have an affinity with someone. So you went to the same high school or you grew up in the same town or you went to the same university, you support the same football team. Imagine if you go to a bar and you meet someone and actually they're from the same part of the same place that you grew up in. You'll have so much to share, you know? It takes us back to that. I guess similarity and affinity bias actually creates this connection. Fundamentals of connection. So it's all about that. That's how we connect with people. We find things that we have in common and we we build from there. But actually in the workplace, that can be really detrimental because then what we do, and it's called homophily, and we hire in the same vision of ourselves again and again and again. So if you look around you and your workplace looks Like people look like you, act like you, you're from the same socioeconomic background, you're the same race, you're the same sexuality, you're the same neuro ability, physical ability, all of that. If that's kind of homogenous, you know that there is an issue here because actually what we've done is we've just replicated, replicated whatever success was seen as in the business or even around you. There's always a little task I share when I'm working with leaders on this and it's called the network effect. And so I asked them to think about we're the product of the people that we spend the most time with. So the six people that you spend the most time with, who are they? Do they look like you? Do they come from the same background? Do they have the same education level? Are they the same race as you? All of these questions, start asking yourself the same sexuality, the same neuro ability, physical ability, all of these things. Start thinking if they're like you, you know, what are your blind spots? What are you missing? Right. You're then going to be kind of echo chambers of each other because what we see in the world is completely driven by what we've seen in the world. So if we've seen really similar things, we kind of come from a same, a similar mindset and we might, think about the world in a really similar way. And that's not necessarily good or bad, but when it comes to productivity within an organization, actually what you want is you want cognitive diversity. You want diversity of thought. You want lots of people around you providing alternative ideas, right? That's how we take risks. That's how we innovate. That's how we progress in life. That's growth personally and professionally. It's really, really important to understand that actually our affinity bias, our similarity bias connects us. That's how we connect. But when it comes to a workplace, actually, sometimes when we don't necessarily have a connection with every single person, we need to work a little bit harder to try and get that with some of those people.
0: I loved what you said there, that what we see in the world is driven by what we've seen. That's such a such a perfect way to articulate what you were touching on. You talked about affinity bias, and I wonder too what that looks like. It feels like there are more divides than ever in this world but there are also so many commonalities and I think oftentimes we focus on the divide but what I've noticed in connection is that you can find a commonality with anyone and I imagine especially in the work that you do and and the way that you connect you are looking for those sort of commonalities along the way is that true?
1: completely we are more alike than we are different completely we're human beings at the end of the day we do far more the same than we do differently we may think differently we may have been brought up in different areas we may have different preferences of who we go to bed with at night but you know that none of that is really fundamentally drives what we do in the world you can do anything you want to do in the world, and that's not driven by your identity. Something that might be a cause of who you are as a person. But I definitely think that the world is kind of open, and actually we have so much more in common, and I think we let our differences divide us far too much. I, I think that actually our differences should be celebrated, and we should be bringing together our differences. When you come to think about intersectionality, and it's a concept that's widely used, and it was coined in the the late 70s to describe the experience of Black women that were in the U.S. that were isolated from the gender movements, but then also the African American movements that are happening. But actually, where was the place for Black women that actually belonged in both, but kind of belonged in neither? That actually, this term that was created then is a beautiful way of Kind of underpinning so much of the intersections that we now come across. So, I am a brown woman, mother, heterosexual, there's lots of different religion, all these different areas that I then intersect with. So, I'm not one or the other, I'm all of them. And I think that's what we need to kind of start embracing. You're not just one, you're not just this characteristic. You're all these other things as well. And so you fit into so many boxes. As much as I hate boxes, we fit into so many boxes, yet we put ourselves in one box and we go, this is my political point that I need to prove to the world. But actually you belong in all these other ones too. And understanding actually there are so many other people in those other boxes that actually might be really great allies. And I think that sometimes we get stuck in that and we get stuck in these boxes and actually they're kind of echo chambers. So what we need to do is we need to pull all of them together kind of break that mold of the box right and pull it all together and actually go oh well I'm I'm actually so much like you actually you grew up in a completely different part of the world and a completely different background to me but actually we do these same things or we have parallel
0: lives what I really loved in what you said there was that you are not one or the other Mm. and I think that that speaks to the fact that we as individuals are so complex and we acknowledge our own complexity, but we don't always acknowledge the complexity of the people that we are interacting with.
1: I love that you've just brought that up. Yes, exactly. We think of ourselves in such a multi-dimensional way. We go, Oh, well, I, I can do this. I can do that. I can do this. Then when we meet other people, we're like, oh, well, you're just this you're just this, you're just this, right? And actually what we do is we we kind of reduce them down to whatever we have seen. And you can only make that first impression the very first time. You only get to meet someone for the first time for that very first time. You never get that impression again. And uh, there's another bias I'll bring in. It's like a little mini <laughs> workshop, but um, there's halo and horns effects. And essentially what our impression is of that person will be affected by how our interaction was or what we perceive that person to be, whether positively or negatively. So either the halo or the horns. And we'll have that kind of preconception and actually what our brains will do because they're reasoned beings, they will look for evidence to back up the assumption we've made Any other kind of assumptions that we make along the way or any evidence that comes in that dispels our assumption, we'll kind of ignore that because it doesn't go with the hypothesis that we've made. (laughs) We do that so much, right? We see ourselves like such complex beings with so much depth and so much character, but we don't do that with everyone else. We try I don't know. I, I feel like sometimes we can judge people so easily. And, you know, we've all done that. But actively stop myself because I need to go I don't know what's actually going on in this person's life I don't really don't know and actually I think that in the last year that has been the changing point for me because I probably wasn't as bad at this than when I was younger but specifically in the last year I'm acutely aware that I don't know what is going on in anybody else's life so I cannot make any assumptions on what I think or what they may present to the world might be completely different to actually how they're feeling. And so I cannot assume that I know anything about that person. I only know what they've told me and that's all I can do. But there is so much else, you know? I may know 10% of actually the truth. And if I'm lucky enough to get the the rest of the 90, then I'm lucky to, to hear it. But I will never know actually the whole 90. No one will ever know really your own truth. It's what you present and what you share. Another point to just bring on this is actually, what are we giving off to people? The energy level we're giving off to people is what we receive back. If we are coming across and we're presenting fear or kind of a scarcity mindset, or we are just not, not, we're trying to like second guess whoever we're with. If we're coming with that kind of energy, that's what that person will feel. So they might reflect that back to us, that might not be their truth, but they might reflect that back to us, because that's what we're giving out. And it completely then just so what we I think what we need to do is we need to just be ourselves as much as we can be as much as we're comfortable in being ourselves. It's a really hard thing to do. I think it's taken me to the age of 36 to realize that I am who I am. I tried to be someone else for so long and actually I didn't like that person. So I'm just going to be me. And if you don't like me, if that that's absolutely fine. I will still receive you with the warmest, kindest energy and send you on in the world because... That's not going to help me. Me giving you any negativity is not going to help your mental health or my mental health. So what's the point?
0: Again, so many great points. The idea of just being yourself and allowing people to come to that with whatever they're able to as well. You can't control how people are going to respond to you, but you can control who you are in a moment. But the worst thing that you could do is not connect with someone because you aren't already being authentic to who you are.
1: But you know, it's a work in progress, right? It's so easy for me to say. It's so hard to do. There's always these times where we'll go back to the mindset of I need to be this person to these people. I'm meeting someone else and I need to present myself in a certain way because that's what those people would expect, or these people expect something completely different. So I need to be this person for them, or whoever they I think they want me to be. And it's taxing on your mind and it can drive you crazy, like having to be so many different people to so many different people it's really important just to, to understand that you've got to live in your own discomfort for a while while you figure it out and it's not an easy thing to do and it's a lifelong you know process and I'm sure that my mindset in 10 years from now will probably be even more kind of laissez- faire <laughs> about the way I am. It's taken me a while but I'm really happy with the way that I am now because I know that I'm not holding anything back or I'm not like trying to be someone that I'm not. And because that was really, that was a lot of tension on me. You put a lot of pressure on yourself when you're holding that or you're trying to hold that. I'm sure that will always remain. An element of that will always remain. That's just, you know, that's just probably how I'm hardwired.
0: It sounds like you've done a lot of work and a lot of thinking about it. And we've touched on this throughout our conversation, but I want to ask you the question directly because I'm curious to your answer. How do you connect?
1: It's really energy. Energy. And this might sound really airy-fairy, but I feel like I'm quite intuitive and I, I, I can sense. And I, I think all of us, we all have this innate ability to sense people's energy levels and how they are responding to us. And if we feel like a negative energy, and I know I feel that like constantly, you know, you're constantly thinking, especially in the mindset that we've all been in, in this kind of like post-COVID world that everybody's kind of setting. We're all not sure what everybody is actually thinking at any of the time, it's hard to create that connection and to understand if that connection is actually authentic, but I just lead with energy. How is this person presenting to me? Because normally, just naturally, we would reflect back what we receive. I will try, if someone's really negative to me, I will try to respond in a really positive way so that I can wash anything. I can go, you're not going to affect me. You're not going to derail me here. When you get that energy, it's a mirror straight away you respond straight back when you get people but that's the way that I think we make connection and when you feel that really positive incredible energy and connection and you know that you can relate to someone that's the best
0: thing that's really good advice what does that mean for meaningful connection what does a meaningful connection look like for you I've made lots of
1: connections where I thought they were meaningful and then I have been sadly mistaken. I am a really open book, and I trust instinctively whether I should or shouldn't. But that's the way I am, and that's the way I will always be. So if um, you want to fool me, fool me. But it's your, it's you really that you're fooling yourself, right? Not me. And so I will always lead with that. And then I have got myself burnt so many times you know, from high school with friends that were really mean. I got catfished before catfishing was even a thing by my best friends at school. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it was awful thing to live through. I had some really toxic people that surrounded me during high school, during my early, like my late teens, kind of into my twenties where they would manipulate me almost like friends, really good friends. And I was really naive and it took me a really long time to realize these people are not cool for me. <laughs> these are not, these are not my people. And actually, then I've reconnected with some of those people again because they have moved on from where they were, right? You can't hold people to that standard. You know, we all make mistakes when we're younger. And actually, some of these people are now really great friends in my life. And some of them I just don't need in my life. But you know, there are times now, even you know, in my 30s, that, and it's actually women that I feel that I've let in and I've really trusted and I feel like they were just trying to like kind of abuse that trust in all honesty and it's painful I feel like my kind of mindset is so strong that they can try and break me but they won't but I just feel sad for maybe someone else who isn't in the mindset that I'm in and if those people were to do something like that and these are really strong professional women that have real kind of Authority or should do or should know better, and they shouldn't be acting the way they are. And so it's just about spotting these red flags. And when you make a bad connection, unfortunately, it might take you a little long to realize that lesson. But when you start to see that, and maybe I'm a fool because I've had that for so long, but maybe this is just what happens. And actually, every single one of those connections makes me stronger. Those negative um, impacts of connections really reverberate with me, and I learn lessons.
0: You said that you could tell when something is a negative connection, when it doesn't feel right. Is it that? Is it that it doesn't feel right? How can you tell?
1: I feel that you instinctively know if someone is out for their own gain. And sometimes because I want to see the best in people, I ignore it. Or because I kind of think, oh, well, actually, what else is there for me to gain from it? And is that toss up worth it? So maybe that's where my mindset is thinking, oh, actually, there might be something beneficial out of this. So let me see what happens. And then at the point where I'm like, this is not healthy, this person is not healthy to be in my circle, no matter what, like it might not, they might not do anything really terrible, but if they're mistreating or abusing the trust that I have placed in them, then that's not right. And I think that we so often want to see the best in people and with friends and with partners or with colleagues, we give them second chances. We give them all these benefit of the doubt. But actually, if we realize that something is negatively affecting us, then that's the problem, right? If you're trying to help someone else because you see them spiraling, that's fine. But if that, then that energy transfers onto you and you start getting the negative effects of that, that's when you need to take yourself out of the situation or you need to put some time in between yourself and that person. I think it's been that. I think I maybe try a lot of the time to see is there for us to mutually gain from this relationship or this experience or whatever it may be. And if it's really positive, that's excellent. But at the point where I think, okay, this is not fair, not balanced, then I will walk away. It's hard to say no, right? It takes more courage to say no than to say
0: yes. Yes, I agree. Someone said to me just recently, and I love it, and I'll share it with you. They said no is a full sentence. Mm, and yeah. that, really, that really impacted me because I think oftentimes we generally, and especially as women, are conditioned to never say no. Or if you do say no, there has to be an excuse. There has to be a reason. It can't be. Yeah. And going back to that conversation we had earlier, it can't be. I'm I don't want this. That That's never enough, it feels like. And the idea that no can be a full sentence is something I'm still working on, but I really like as an idea.
1: It's really hard. I think like innately, a lot of us are people pleasers and we want to say yes we want to make sure that we're doing the best but it might even be like your parents or your family or something that you're just always saying yes to it might be someone that you're really close to that you just always say yes because you can't say no and you don't want to let them down and it's really hard but at the minute when you realize that actually you're sacrificing part of yourself to do something for someone else and it's not working for you you need to know that that's not what's right
0: Yeah, and I think the boundaries conversation will forever be actually a really key part of the connection conversation. You watch other people's interactions and you watch other people's connections. And I think that that the really interesting theme I'm seeing emerge is that, is that fact, that there is the need for connection, but there's also the need to assert yourself and to make the decisions that are best for you. And those are not in conflict. They're running in parallel, but they can feel in conflict, I think, sometimes.
1: Sometimes we don't know what's best for us. Sometimes we're like, I don't know if this is going to be good or bad for me, but you just have to go with whatever you feel is right for you at that time. And if it doesn't work out, then that's okay. But there is definitely boundaries. Boundaries is a really big thing uh, when it comes to connection and this abuse of the connection, right, that we were talking about and where people can manipulate you or they can take your kindness for granted. There's this fine line that we need to draw under it but it's hard to know you don't we don't always know when the connection is not going to work out but we can't then beat ourselves up about it if it does that's the way that it goes because it's always gonna be up and down and I think we need to give ourselves some more credit and give ourselves a break we don't do that enough we don't give ourselves okay that didn't work out I think a really big part of this is also accountability and taking accountability have you heard of the term fractionalism no tell me more Now, I don't know if I've made this up. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that I heard this a few eight years ago or something, but I think it's wonderful. And even if this isn't the right use of the term, this is my use of the term. But essentially, think about that every single step in your life, every single decision you've made has got you to this point right here. Nothing that no one else has done. They may have done stuff on the way, but you made a decision to what you did next, right? And I think once we give ourselves power to say, well, actually... And, and take that power away from, oh, other people decided this for me. No, you are in a situation and you've led yourself to this path. Now there may be other things that have come along in the way that you couldn't avoid, but your next step. And I think it's quite freeing because it's like, okay, this is where I'm at. And actually I'm here, I'm here of my own accord. This is me, I take an agency to be at this point in my life. What do I do now? I really think that we need to kind of let go of that kind of like past life almost because it just holds on, especially if it's really negative that people are holding on to. I do something which I think is quite freeing. And I've shared this with so many people, but I delete things. So if it's really negative in my mind, like if I've had a fight with my husband or not really happy at work or something, I have to kind of compartmentalize it and just go, well, it's not serving me any purpose. Me holding on to that is not serving me anything. It's not helping my mental health. It's not help, helping my state of mind at this point. So let me delete it from my mind. And I will hold on to the positive because that's what gives me power. That's what empowers me. If I hold on to anything negative, anything that I've had, you know, kind of with my friends or anything that I have decided that wasn't quite right for me, maybe 10, 20 years ago. If I hold on to it, I try and check, oh, well, what would I should I have done? What could I have done? I can't change it. Right. And it's just, it's again, it's that poison. It's me holding on to that. But I, I feel really empowered by this kind of mind state because I'm like, oh, okay. And because I'm in that space, when I do meet people, I think then I'm like on a kind of a higher vibration. I'm on this like energy vibration where I'm like, let's get the best out of this interaction for both of
0: us. I love that. My next question for you was what is one piece of advice you often give? To- <laughs> You gave it to us. Delete the negative.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Delete the negativity. Uh, it doesn't serve you. Delete it from your life. Always learn the mistakes, learn, learn the, the lessons that you were supposed to learn, whether it was someone else's bad behavior or yours or whatever it was, whatever it was pain or sorrow or heartache or bereavement or whatever it may have been. Learn that. Live with that emotion. But if there's anything that's there that is holding you back, you need to release yourself from it because it will not serve you. It will not put you where you need to go. I think that that's really, really important because if you're not where you need to go, when you try and meet people along the way, you know, it's again, it's that mirror. You're going to reflect
0: back where you're at. I can already see that as a quote. <laughs> Amazing! My life ambition to be quoted. <laughs> one day, one day soon. You've done it. Yeah, you've done it. Ufie, thank you so much. This has been such an interesting conversation, and we could chat forever. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, we're gonna have to have to chat at some point and have a have yeah. a glass of wine or something when the world opens back up. Last question for you. Yeah. In true paper napkin fashion, who should we connect with next and what makes them a great connection? Oh, I've
1: just got smiles as I'm even thinking about her. There's a wonderful, wonderful being that I'm so lucky to have in my life. Her name is Frankie and she was brought to into my life really randomly an ex-business partner of hers actually I met at a a networking thing for mums it was really strange and we just started chatting and I got introduced to Frankie through her so it's a really strange way of connecting but I think that's that's the same with Jess you know it was like crazy ways that people connect and then you actually realize these are my people right so she is a wonderfully brilliant woman who is on a mission to change the world. And I will support her fully in anything and everything she does. So she would be a wonderful person to speak to.
0: Wow, she sounds amazing. I look forward to connecting with Frankie. And thank you so much for your time and for the conversation you've left me with so much to ponder. And I know that our listeners will have lots to consider as well.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this.